Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the official EstablishRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. And today I am joined by a very, very special guest. This is a young man who is one of the most influential people behind the scenes in all of fantasy. You remember him from Star Street. You remember him from Draft. You now know him as the founder and chairman of Underdog Fantasy. You'll soon know him, I think, as Vinny Chase of the tequila business. He's an excellent <laughs> ping pong player. I know this because I myself am a world-class ping pong player, and he was able to beat me. Yes, it's Jeremy Jeremy Levine. Jeremy, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? Pumped to be here. You guys done 82 episodes already? Already. One year in 82 episodes. What yeah. a run. Not bad. <laughs> Um, first of all, man, congrats on the underdog launch. Uh, very exciting. We're going to get to all that soon. Uh, I wanted to give some people some background though, about you and about how we got here, uh, to this underdog spot. Um, for those guys that don't know, I, I think star street, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was one of the first DFS platforms. I think you guys founded star street, like way back in 2009. And that's like really, really early. Uh, How'd you come up with the idea originally? Like, were you really into fantasy? What were those very, very early days like in DFS? Yeah, it was definitely, definitely early days. So we, we started, or I started Star Street basically in college, um, but incorporated it right when I graduated in 2009. Um, the initial idea was a sports stock market. Um, so we weren't really daily fantasy right away. We pivoted to daily fantasy I think early 2011 uh, was when we launched our first daily fantasy game. Um, so like 2009 is when FanDuel launched. I knew them, kind of followed them in Draft Street and saw what was happening there. I was like, okay, this is getting momentum. And we really weren't getting momentum with the sports stock market. It was just too complex of a concept. Um, though you could buy and sell players with real money and, and make money as they perform. So it was pretty cool. Um, but it was hard to get new users kind of comfortable with it. Um, so yeah, we launched our our daily fantasy or salary cap game at star street um 2011 that was well before i, I think at least a couple months before DraftKings um launched theirs and at the time it was like FanDuel, probably in order FanDuel, draft street your co-founders at draft day um daily joust i think there was fantasy sports live and i think that was the extent of uh of the daily fantasy sites at that point. Yeah. Uh, were you like super into fantasy or business? Like when you're growing up, like for me, when I was um, kind of that age, I never even thought about business. I loved fantasy and I was like, this is great. Daily fantasy is here. I'm going to just play and, and print. I never even thought like I'm going to start a daily fantasy site. Like it seems super aggressive. It wouldn't have even like blown my mind when I was that age. How, how did you get into like this whole business of founding big time businesses? Yeah. I mean, looking back, it, it feels pretty natural to me, but at the time it wasn't kind of, I thought like I, I never had a real job. I always found kind of odd ways to make money, whether it's scalping tickets to Red Sox games or Celtics playoff games or selling textbooks my freshman year in college or whatever it was. Um, and in college, I, once I didn't have any classes after my first semester freshman year, once I didn't have any classes after or before two in the morning, I ended up going to all my classes or sorry, two in the afternoon. I ended up going to all my classes, um, but they were so boring that I'd just be sitting on my laptop. Um, and at that point, all I, I loved sports, right? It was all about sports, um, but there, there wasn't that much on the internet yet. So I kind of sit in those classes. I'd read basically all the sports content I could read. And then there just wasn't more out there at the time, right? It was baffling to think about. Think about 
statement today. That would be crazy to read all the sports content on the internet, but it really felt like that back then. Um, and so I kind of started finding some other stuff. I found like blogs about Apple. I found TechCrunch. I found a couple like venture capitalist blogs. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, I remember I got the first iPhone like right when it came out and just kind of became obsessed with like product, Steve Jobs, startups. Um, and, and it became really obvious to me I wanted to start a company. Um, I was actually an entrepreneurship major at Syracuse. I, I kind of, I tried to double major in sports, did a sports management program. But for some reason, I couldn't double major, which was weird. Um, but I ended up taking some sports management classes, but then, um, then really focused on entrepreneurship. There was like the senior project, um, which was basically you do a bit, it's a business plan competition. And I wanted to do the sports stock market for it. And I remember my teacher telling me, it's too hard. You can't do it. Even though like I had a whole team that was ready to go. I was all excited about it. And I said, we tried to, we did a business plan, like to reinvent the postal system digitally or something. What the fuck do you think was harder? Um, so that I, I remember that forever. And then I kind of like, look, I'm not interested in that. I should wanted to drop out with like two months left in college. And my dad's like, come on, you're two months away. Just stay there. Yeah. Um, but what was kind of for the basic, my, sec- my last semester in college was like working on the sports stock market idea. Um, got out of college, incorporated that. And, and um, I think was naive enough at the time to think I could do it. Um, looking back, if I knew what I know, I, I can't imagine when I made the decision to start it because it was years of pain trying to find investors. I mean, it took me over two years to raise my first dollar, got turned down by over 300 investors. Um, definitely, definitely a crazy process. Yeah. Well, what, what's, I think impressive is you guys, I mean, gained a real following. I, I think among at least among like serious players, it seemed like Star Street had really good volume. Uh, site was strong. It seemed like to me, at least I wasn't really playing DFS seriously. Uh, when you guys were, I didn't really start playing seriously like 2014. And I think that's when you guys sold, uh, to DraftKings. Um, right. obviously made money on that, but did you ever think about like really going for it? Like trying to beat DraftKings, trying to beat FanDuel and like be the one that gets the eight figure valuation, the one that goes public and all that. Yeah, look, I mean, when we, when we launched Daily Fantasy, um, I'm pretty sure it was February 2011. And in two weeks, we made more money than we had in the two years prior with the sports stock market. Um, that's actually when I met, um, well, no, Peter Jennings joined us at Star Street right after that, but he was a player on the sports stock market. So I kind of built a relationship with him. He joined. Um, there was a moment soon after, well, probably a year later, when... Draft, we basically had the option to sell the DraftKings, probably would have made me the second largest equity holder at DraftKings, which looks pretty bad financially right now. But <laughs> I, I, I don't regret that. I don't, I don't think I would have lasted that long there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we said no to that thinking, look, we're, we've got a shot to, to do this ourselves. Um, at that point, I, I didn't have a handle on kind of what customer acquisition at scale really meant. Um, I was still, I mean, so new at running a startup that I didn't, I didn't know how to go raise capital at scale. And that's something DraftKings and, and FanDuel obviously did, did really successfully. Mm-hmm. So though I think we built an amazing product um, and, and that's what we really focused on um, and had, had a lot of people who loved us at Star Street, both the Daily Fantasy game, the, the Pick 5 game we had. Um, we, it was pretty clear kind of towards the end of it that FanDuel and DraftKings were just raising too much money and, and scaling. And it wasn't obvious to me that it would be, that it would work for one or two or, or certainly not three 
companies to kind of go do that and spend at that rate. And I didn't know if I could go raise that money. So that's when we made the decision to sell the assets of star street. Um, and, and we kind of had the vision then for a draft. Um, so we, I, I called, I called Nigel, I called Jason Robbins. I basically called everyone in the industry and said, Hey, we want to go build a mobile game. We're selling our assets. What are you interested in? Um, and we did that. We actually, so that the money we made was all kind of the same entity draft was actually still star street Inc. Um, mm. so kind of start to finish. That was a, that was a wild 10 year journey. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing, amazing story, especially considering how, how young you were. And also like, I think you guys were known as like for having these crazy deals with like the playboy and, and all this like crazy stuff going on I mean, these days back in DFS was like the wild west. Do you have any favorite stories from the early days, playboy stories for the people, anything? Oh man, I got, <laughs> I got lots of stories from that place. That was a wild time for sure. Um, I mean the first, the very first, um, the first one we did was for baseball. Um, the first part we, so we had a partnership with Playboy where we, we were going to throw live events at the Playboy Mansion. And we basically, I remember kind of thinking about this before and, and seeing what, what Fanda was doing with their live events. They were doing at Legacy Stadium in Vegas and it was just mm-hmm. amazing, right? Like mm-hmm. such a great concept. People loved it. I'm like, how could we do better than that? How can we one up that? And literally the only idea that I had was the Playboy Mansion. Like where would guys rather spend a Sunday? The only better place in the world I could think about for, for a bunch of daily fantasy players to spend a day would be the Playboy Mansion. Um, I ended up getting connected to the guy who ran digital at the Playboy Mansion. He loved it. He loved the concept. We ended up putting it together. Um, it was quite a deal. Um, and yeah, so we, we had that first party um, just planning. I mean, we were a three-person company at the time. So running the company, raising money, I was doing all the customer support from my phone if I wasn't at the computer, plus being a travel agent for 30 people and planning a 200 person party at the Playboy Mansion was a, that was a wild time. Um, but we, we did it, we set it up for baseball. Um, and we've got a tent, we've got, I don't have very many games there, I've got them in 12 TVs in the tent, um, open bar, all that. It's supposed to last whatever, six hours. Um, and one of the early games is, um, is in extra innings, all the late games finish up. And one of the early games is still in extra innings, keeps on going and going and going. Um, and it's now way past when we're supposed to be there. And the guy who runs the mansion is like, Hey, the girls need to go home. The playmates need to go home. Um, like, what do you want to do? I'm like, shit, we have to get that picture, right? Like we need that picture. The winner has got to take a picture with the playmates and the check. Um, I remember asking Peter, so we're going to blame this all on Peter. Uh, I remember asking Peter, like, what are the chances? So it was Brian Cavers was in first. Um, I think Thad, Rad Thad was in second. And and Michael Leone was in third. Yeah. Um, and I remember asking, like, what? And, and Cavers was up 30 points or something, right? Like, huge lead. I'm like, what are the chances someone catches it? And Pete's like, less than 1%. Like, <laughs> Fuck it. Let's get the checks. Let's, let's do it. I'm like, I asked him, I'm like, hey obviously this isn't over yet. Like, do you want the picture or not? It's your call. And he's like, let's do it. Um, so we brought up the checks. The game's in probably like the 16th inning now. We brought up the checks. We took the pictures and, um, and the game goes to the 17th inning. The game goes to the 18th inning. Ah, it was Diamondbacks, maybe Diamondbacks Padres or something. And, this, and, and, and Mike's got a Diamondback stack, I'm pretty sure. 
Um, and I think the, it wasn't the Potters. I forget who the other team was, but I think they had just scored a run in the top of the 18th. Um, the game's now the longest game since like 1979 or something. That flashes <laughs> on the screen. It's like, of course this happens. Um, and the Padres might have scored a couple of runs. Like it seemed like it was over. The Diamondbacks start, they, they start getting on base. They load the bases. And I think there was a, a double to drive everyone in. And then like another, another, someone drove that guy in and that put, that was like a 30 point comeback. And, and, uh, and Mike ended up winning, uh, mm-hmm. Passing cavers, and we had to basically retake the retake the ceremony. And um, there's a picture that's been floating around Twitter that that I posted on a thread recently. There's a picture of me heading Mike the check, Mike kissing me on the cheek. There's no girls around, no playmates, uh, and it's just like, of course, that that's our that's our first live event. That went well. Yeah, you know, uh, luckily, uh, luckily, cavers and, and Thad were are great guys, and, and we're great sports about it too. Yeah, obviously, uh, Leone works with us uh, now, and. Um, uh, I put in the Slack if anybody had any, and I put in our company Slack if anybody had any questions for Jeremy. And, and Dink was like, Drew Dinkmeyer was like, yeah, ask him if he remembers the time that uh, Leone beat a guy in the live final. I had to take a picture with the first place check with you because the Playboy Bunnies had a time limit. That was that was really something. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly how we drew it up. <laughs> um, okay, speaking of, of DFS, and we're gonna get to the draft and the underdog stuff. I, I got to ask you though, while you're here, about some of the issues in the DFS. Uh, uh, space. I think the first one that a lot of people bring up is the spread or the insinuation is that the spread of regulated legalized sports betting is, is not good for DFS, that people instead of putting in the work that it takes to make a good DFS lineup, which is work and, and a lot of skill, uh, is not this is the people who aren't up for that are just gonna say, hey, I can just bet on sports and I have a 50-50 chance of winning because the market is so liquid and and the market is so efficient. I'll just throw in some money on a line and, and it's 50-50 and I have a good sweat. Uh, I think personally that our generation is far more up for putting in the work for skill games, for peer-to-peer games than they are for um, uh, trying to beat a really efficient market like NFL closing lines or something like that. So I'm just curious what you think the impact of regulated, spread, legalized sports betting will be on DFS and fantasy. Yeah, I've had this conversation so many times, obviously. Um, I have believed... And I think the data is showing that the spread of sports betting is going to be good for fantasy. Um, I don't think we're seeing fantasy slow in any of the states where sports betting is now. Um, my view has always been more, more money in wallets focused on sports, more people interested in, in playing sports games for money is going to be good for the entire ecosystem. Um, I think we as Americans kind of grew up playing fantasy sports. We love playing fantasy sports. I don't think that goes away if we can more conveniently bet on games. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And and yeah, I think you know, my dad never played fantasy in his life, but like my kids are going to grow up playing fantasy, you know, as soon as they can get on a computer and stuff. So, so yeah, right, I think that right. it's a generational thing for sure. Um, okay. The other big issue in DFS is this whole controversy over rake. And, and I, I think a lot of the pros in both poker and DFS really think that it's like the site's responsibility to create an environment where pros can make a living. I, I don't see it that way, but I do think that it's in the site's interest to some extent because this stuff is so aspirational, right? Like they want to be the next CSU RAM and DFS. They want to be the next green plastic and poker or whatever. So people aspire to do that. If you don't, if the platform doesn't give people a chance to at least make a living, to be the best person in the lobby, to play the highest stakes, um, then I think that's detrimental to the whole ecosystem. I understand the other argument that 
um, you know, sites need to make the rake as high as possible and, and they're running a business and they can charge whatever they want. You can go play on another site. But as someone who's run DFS and fantasy sites, where do you come in on this whole controversy over rake? Yeah, um, no, it's a, it's a really good question. It's something we always have to think about, right? I think there's got to be a balance um, and we've got to create an ecosystem where it's, where it's smart for people to play. Um, where they should be spending their time playing if, if they're going to play seriously. And there's some people who it's, hey, I just want, I just want to be able to kind of play a game and, and treat it more like a, a game and an entertainment. And there's some people who treat it as a profession, obviously. I mean, there's, you might have a better handle on this number than I do, but my guess is there's over 100 full-time daily fantasy players right now, right, whose professions are tied to daily fantasy. Um, so it's something that I think is really important, um, but it's a balance, right? I mean, being an operator is a daily fantasy operator is really hard. Um, it's a really hard business. There's been what well over 200 real money fantasy sports sites over the last 10 years. And mm -hmm. there's been three who have had any kind of magnitude of success. Um, so it, it's not like any of the operators are kind of hand over fist stealing money from, from the players at, at a rate. I, I would say it's in a large part, it's, it's been better to be on the content side of fantasy or it's been better to um, to be players in, in a lot of senses. I mean, you've got way more players who have made money than founders and employees of daily fantasy sites. Okay, so uh, after Star Street, you mentioned how how that went down. How did the idea for Draft come up? Uh, for those guys that don't know, Draft was essentially, well, kind of like DFS, but snake draft format. And really, I think the most popular part of Draft, and what will be, to me, the most popular part of Underdog is, is the best ball season long. Uh, format. But anyways, how did the idea for draft uh, come up? Yeah, it was, I mean, look, it was, it was born out of our, our time and the challenges we saw with star street. Um, and partly the discussion we had before pay, hey, it was tough to compete with the daily fantasy site. I mean, I think people thought we had a great product, but it was a really challenging environment. And it was a challenging environment for players. Um, salary cap daily fantasy is a game where if you're going to, if you're playing to make money, you've got to spend time on it. I mean, you've got to spend a lot of time. Um, and we saw the challenges recreational players had and, and how they were mostly losing to players who were, who were taking it more seriously. Um, and we just had this vision for a simpler, more casual game that is more kind of akin to what people do in their season-long fantasy leagues, right? There's, I mean, the, the FSTA, now the FSGA, um, that's what they changed their name to for gambling, but... They're, they've run surveys, I say about 30 million people a year play, play season long fantasy sports. Um, D, DFS is way less, right? It's probably I don't know, around 5 million or so. Um, and those players, they're all familiar with drafts. So for us, it was at the time where this is 2014, like mobile was really kind of accelerating and coming of age. And there was no great mobile sports games, no, no salary caps, are very, not a good game on mobile, right? You're not going to spend. You're not going to sit, open the phone, look at the pricing and do everything in one session on your phone if you're taking the game seriously. So we thought that was a really big opportunity there. Um, and at the same time thought, hey, at the, at the time when we sold Star Street, we were the third largest daily fantasy site. Um, and we just knew that FanDuel and DraftKings had an idea of what was coming for them, right? They had both raised some rounds or they both raised big rounds and were on their way to raising even bigger rounds. And we're like, hey, we're not going to be able to compete with these guys. Um, but maybe there's this other game. Um, so that, that was the idea for draft is this is something millions of people do. It, it follows the trends of mobile. It will be a simpler, easier to win game. Um, and to me, the, the most fun part of fantasy has always been the drafting part. 
Um, so we wanted to build a game around that. Um, we actually drafted the start was just the daily and weekly drafts. Um, we didn't build best ball until after we got acquired. Mm -hmm. um, right after we got acquired, we built the best ball game and that obviously became our most popular format. Yeah. Uh, I love best ball too, just because during the year, I don't really have time. I'm playing so much DFS and working on DFS so much. I don't really have time to manage a season long team. So that's why best ball is great for me. And I think a lot of other people feel the same way. The thing is, you're, you're obviously smarter than me. I would have thought that best ball uh, or this kind of uh, business wouldn't have worked because unlike DFS, where you can, you know, people are paying rake thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of times a day, a week, a year uh, in best ball, like, or in these season long just, I mean, people might draft. I don't know, a couple hundred times a year. So I didn't, it wasn't, it didn't even, wouldn't even cross my mind that there was enough money there to create a business. I guess you guys saw it differently and you were right. I was wrong as usual. I mean, it, I think you're right there too, though. It, it, it has to be coupled with something else, right? I don't think underdog's not just going to be a purely a best ball platform. Um, we're going to build, we're going to have daily games and we'll, we'll build some other like daily draft games. And then we'll build some other versions of daily games as well as we grow. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there would be a good business of just best ball, right. um, but best ball is a great game to acquire users. It's a great game to retain players, right? People stick around for a whole season. They check their scores and, and they want to play other stuff. They've, they've gained an affinity for our platform through best ball. Um, but for us, obviously seeing the success draft had with best ball and seeing kind of the gap in the market now is, it was pretty obvious. Hey, people want best ball and, and for underdog, that's obviously what we saw as the opportunity to start with is people really want best ball right now. We know how to build that. Um, and we know there's a community out there that that's dying for it. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've been asked what happened to draft. I want to play best, best ball. Uh, why isn't FanDuel putting out draft? C can you give the people any background on what happened to draft and, um, uh, why you think there's been no other really best ball serious competitors to enter the market? Yeah. I mean, some of that, I, I don't know the answer. Why, why haven't there been others? Um, but I mean, there obviously are other platforms you can play best ball, but I think as always, and, and with all of kind of daily fantasy, you got to build a good product. You got to treat customers well, well and really focus on that. Um, so a lot of people have, have this wrong where they think FanDuel acquire a draft. Um, we actually sold to Paddy Power Betfair in 2017. Um, Paddy Power Betfair later, the, the CEO who acquired us resigned, a new CEO um, came in. And as PASPA was re being repealed, so sports betting was coming, that CEO made the decision to acquire FanDuel. Um, and then we were kind of merged into FanDuel. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't kind of by fan, it wasn't FanDuel's choice. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it certainly wasn't what kind of we had, we had designed for. It was, it was a bummer to us because we, we were kind of growing, growing draft really rapidly. We were actually working on a salary cap format game at the time. Um, and I thought we were at the scale where we could run million dollar contests every week, a $5 million live event. Um, so it was a bummer, um, but we, we then kind of merged into FanDuel as a company. And, um, and later, obviously, they made the decision to shut draft down, which I, I don't look. I think the draft games, obviously, the, the games we had there should exist. Um, but I never felt it made sense for there to be two competing fantasy brands in the same company. Um, so I, I, I don't know that it was necessarily the wrong decision for them. Um, and certainly no hard feelings to anyone there that they always handle things with grace. And, and I've got a lot of friends there both at, at Patty Power. Those guys always treated us well and at FanDuel. Okay, good. I'm glad you cleared that up. People, you can stop asking me now what happened to draft. Jeremy just told you what, what happened to draft. You can, you can stop asking me now. Uh, you got it all. Um, okay, I, I think probably a lot of people listening will probably want to know, like, 
what it's like to start companies and sell them for a lot of money at, at, a, at a young age. Like it kind of reminds me of, of office space when Livingston asked his neighbor, like, what would you do with a million dollars? And he thinks, and he thinks, and he says, two girls at the same time, you know, I, I mean, like you're launching, <laughs> <laughs> you're launching tequila companies. Uh, uh, what's been going on? What's it like to be, to be Jeremy these days? It's, uh, it's fun, but it's not, it's not that different than it was before. Um, I've always been lucky in that I've been able to do things I enjoy um, and do work I enjoy, right? I mean, starting a company, running a company in, in fantasy sports, yeah, it's challenging, but it's a lot of fun. And, and I enjoy I enjoy kind of the game of business. Um, I've been fortunate, even before we sold, I kind of had a little investment fund with some other people's money. So I was able to invest in other startups. That's something I really enjoy. I love building relationships with other founders, being able to help. Um, as a lot of people did for me early on, kind of in, in me starting in business. and. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's been fun, obviously, working on Underdog with, with a bunch of the early team from Draft, people I loved working with um, in a very different role for me where I'm not, I'm not full-time day-to-day um, making all the decisions, but I'm able to kind of guide and help and, and make connections and, and leverage a lot of the different friendships I've made over the last 10 years in, in daily fantasy and in the sports world. Um, okay, cool. So all that brings us to Underdog, uh, new, yeah. best, new, new site founded, I think, in February, not too long ago at all already live, uh, launched last week. Uh, what is the big picture plan for Underdog? You mentioned that the big picture plan is not just to be best ball. What is the big picture plan for Underdog? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, vision, the vision I've always had basically since getting into Daily Fantasy was to build a suite of games, a platform of games, and, and hopefully Underdog can fulfill that. Um, we were kind of on our way there with, with Draft when the situation changed. Um, but yeah, a best ball is obviously going to be our first game. Um, we're going to do daily. We're going to do daily drafts once football season comes around, and then for the other sports, we'll do best ball. I think for all all major sports, um, and we um, will then try to build some more games. I think there's a lot of a lot of room to innovate in fantasy, um, and a lot of different game formats we can build on. So the idea is that we've got an amazing engineering team um, and, and can build product really good quality product quickly. I mean this. We started, we started Underdog at the end of February, um, so less than five months to launch the product with four engineers across three platforms. Um, it just kind of blows my mind how quickly we were able to get it out there and how impressive, impressive that is and the team is. Um, so I think hopefully we'll be able to keep up that rate of, of kind of innovation and speed and launch a lot more games. Yeah, I, I mean, the site is functioning. People are saying they love it just as much. As draft from the early uh, from the early reviews, what did you guys maybe learn from draft, or what can you take from draft to make uh, underdog better, or anything that you learned at draft just from the best ball product, I guess, to start? Yeah, I mean, from best ball, it's just there, there's so much. It's got to be a clean, easy draft experience. You got to be able to do it anywhere, um, and and then there's the tools that people who are going to play in uh, in a hundred in a hundred drafts or 150 drafts, like they they need some different tools, right? So I think more of those will come from us too. Yeah. I, I mean, I do have one bone to pick. I was with Peter in Yosemite last year. We're supposed to be out there smelling the roses. I, I, I heard about that trip. <laughs> he, I mean, he has quite literally, I think, 100 drafts going on at once. And so every second his phone is beeping. He's on the clock. His timer's about to expire <laughs> or whatever. We're supposed to be out there on vacation enjoying ourselves. He's drafting every second. I mean, it's out of control. Um, I, uh, yeah, I... Uh... I, I, I guess I can take all the blame for, for that in a way. He, I think he did, what, over 5,000 drafts on best ball last year? Yeah. Um, I mean, drafts on drafts, so hopefully, hopefully he'll do the same on underdog. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. The second question or that I big question that I've been getting already, what's going on? Why can't we play underdog in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or these other states, Indiana? What What's going on with the state stuff? Uh, people, I think there's a perception that you can just turn the lights on and start running a site like this. I think people are kind of uh, misunderstand what it takes. So give the people an update on what's going on with the state by state stuff. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, that it's always frustrating. There's, there's now legislation, I believe in 22 states for fantasy sports, um, which I think overall is a great thing. Um, but some of the states just certainly don't move at the speed of a startup. Um, so in basically every state we can be, well, some of the states have rates, like unfortunately Delaware is I think $50,000 a year. And first that small state at this stage of our business, it's just not worth it to pay that fee. Um, so unfortunately not planning to be in Delaware anytime too soon. Um, Pennsylvania is a good example of one where we have submitted our application. I think we got started on that like in the first month of the company, knowing it could take some time. Um, and, and we're just at kind of mercy of their, of their speed at this point. So I'm hopeful that people will be able to play this, this season, but it's just, it's up to them and how quickly they move. Uh, New Jersey's one where I think even by the time the podcast goes live, we could be there. I mean, that, that's supposed to be imminent. We, we know that's coming. Um, and otherwise, yeah, I mean, we want to be in as many places as we can be for people who want to play this game, obviously. And it's just a matter of applying in the different states and, and going through their process. Cool. All right. By the way, if you guys want to check out Underdog, enter promo code ETR after you deposit. Check out Jeremy's product. You'll be entered into uh, a raffle, win some ETR prizes, win some swag from the guys at Underdog. Check it out. And uh, yeah, I also think best ball, people use it as like, instead of mock drafting for no money, people can play like a $2 or $5 best ball. And it's like better than mock drafting for no money where people are actually taking it seriously and it re replicates your home league more. So I think that's maybe another function you guys didn't, didn't really see that was going to be a function of, of best balls, like season long players who just want to kind of mock for cheap. Um, okay. Let's get some listener questions here. The people have questions for you, Jeremy. Uh, from Noah Rudell, he says, ask Jeremy if he plans to do live finals like they had at draft. Um, what's up, Noah? I wish he was on the call. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have anything in the plans. We're not going to do anything this year, obviously, for plenty of reasons. Um, but I, I'd love to. Um, and hopefully we will. But nothing kind of planned out yet. Okay, from, Jace, from John Spitz, he says, does Jeremy see a future where fantasy sports and sports cards collide? Seems like already have. Yeah, this I haven't been following, but apparently like sports cards are making a resurgence. When I was young, I loved sports cards. I didn't I don't know where this is coming from, but uh yeah, I don't know. What do you think about the whole sports cards and fantasy thing? It's um colliding, I don't I'm not sure I see I'm not sure. Um sports cards in general. I mean, I'm I'm loving the resurgence. I've been like I'm not deep in it anyway. I've just been kind of like seeing it and feeling it. I've been telling friends, Hey, we should be buying sports cards now. Um, yeah, as a kid, I mean, my fa my favorite thing to do is collect sports cards, right? That's all I ever wanted to do as a kid. And I mean, that's where some of the ideas for draft were born, which is grabbing hands, handfuls of sports cards, making teams, doing drafts against friends. I remember I always wanted that. That initial idea for star street came out of collecting sports cards because I always wanted the rookie cards of the players I thought were going to be good because I thought down the line I could sell them for more. Right? I remember chasing the Vince Carter rookie card. Oh, I, that's all I ever wanted, right? I was obsessed with that Vince Carter, I think, uh, Chrome rookie card. Um, and so that was the initial idea of like investing in players. Um, and I think, I think that seems to be panning out now. I guess there's been a pretty dramatic change in the sports card industry where now there's only one licensed partner for each league. Right, so Panini, I believe, has NBA and NFL, mm -hmm. um, and 
I think it's known how many of each card they produce. So it's kind of somewhat easy to value and understand what, what the asset is. Whereas I think we were collecting at exactly the wrong time where there was just a flood of supply and right. no transparency. Um, but yeah, I, I think I haven't done it yet, but I've been telling a lot of friends, this feels like an amazing time. And like if people started a couple of years ago, um, in terms of like really getting back into sports cards, it feels like, but I think it's an amazing time to be investing in sports cards. It's something if I had the time, I'd be spending more time on, um, and be really interested in and i feel like it's it's still the kind of early days and i I have a feeling cards from the rookie cards of you buy the rookie cards today and as a class they're they're going to be worth 10 times more in in five years yeah it's crazy i i think they've created scarcity whereas like you said when we were kids there there was no scarcity i mean my cards are worth not and i i have so many cards and and they're worth i'm sure i haven't looked but i'm sure they're worth right i i I did that sad that's sad uh experiment recently where i was i was home for quarantine at my parents place so i went up to my attic and grabbed my boxes of sports cards and started looking at what i thought were my best cars looked them up on ebay and oh twenty dollars forty dollars seven dollars <laughs> damn it <laughs> i thought these were going to be worth thousands right so i, I, I do I'm, I'm pretty encouraged by by what is happening now in sports cars there's been a lot of cool innovation a lot of cool startups um that are coming in the space right now so i'm i'm excited for where it can go it's, it's something i mean again childhood i feel like if you ask daily fantasy players their favorite things to do as a kid, I bet I bet half of them will say collect sports cards, right? So For something sure. I think this industry will be really interested in. Um, okay, next question comes from Thomas Fuller. He says, "What's the next bis- What is the next big thing in fantasy sports? Not sports betting. It's a good question. I feel like we're we're exhausting everything that I like to do out out there on the internet, uh, Jeremy. I hope you've <laughs> ha- I hope I hope you have something left that I like to do. Um. I mean, shit, if I knew would be building it, but underdog, can I, can I say that? I mean, that, that's, that, that's the plan. Um, I think, look, we, we want to be the type of company that can innovate on gameplay. It's something I think we're able to do at Starshoot. We're able to do a draft. Um, and hopefully it'll be even better than that, better than that here at underdog. And um, I think we want to get to the point where we can start experimenting, start listening to, to the players and, and what they want and what other game types they may want and formats they may want. We've got a, We've got a long document already kind of growing of just like game ideas to play around with. Um, so hopefully it's not going to be this year, right? we got the basic games to build this year and the basic product to build this year. But hopefully we can start putting out some new games and seeing the reactions and, and build some cool stuff. Uh, I have an, uh, an idea for you. You can just give me a million dollars whenever you're ready after this idea becomes huge. Uh, uh, and I'm sure you've thought of this, but a tournament style, DFS style tournament, except you're picking against the spread. So um, you know, if the Cowboys are minus three against their Redskins or, or whatever, uh, that would be a pick. And then whoever gets the most picks right, and you could incentivize people to pick upsets in one way or another, if they want to take money line and, you know, build DFS style tournament, which people love that put in a little win a lot. Like that's all people want to do. Not me personally, but that's all like the general public wants to do. Setting that up for sports betting tournament style, I think, is just would absolutely crush. So you can have that idea. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, li- I like that a lot. I think, unfortunately, that would be sports betting. Basically, it wouldn't fall right. under the fantasy sports regulations, right? The way the regulations are written, it's got to be based on player performance. Um, so games or your any games built, you, you can't really base them on team or team performance or spreads or, or anything like that. Right. Um, so, look, I think there's going to be a lot of room to innovate in sports betting. Um, as kind of more of the country comes online and, and the platforms right now, all the, all the betting platforms, they're focused on just kind of building the railings. Right. But I think if you look five years out, I think there'll be some innovation in sports betting. That could be really cool. For sure. Okay. I took the question from this guy cause his username 
is best ball UK NFL. And then he says, <laughs> I, I wonder what he's going to want. <laughs> and his question is, does Jeremy plan to expand into the UK market? Please. He's begging you, Jeremy, please. This guy's handle is best ball UK NFL. He needs it. I think let's have him build a community. Um, and once there's a strong <laughs> enough community there, we'll be able to convince, uh, that's going to be a task for our, our VP of finance and our legal team probably. But uh, it, it's there, I think to operate fantasy games there, it's a whole different, it's a whole different legal system. And I think, I think they're regulated as sports betting there. So it'd be just, a, it's a lot to set up. Um, so unfortunately it's not, not something I see us doing soon, but I'd love, I'd love to be everywhere we can be. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows producer Luke is across the pond. Producer Luke would be in on the action. I know for sure. So you have, you have at least two people you have. Producer Perfect. Luke there we playing, go. We got a market there. <laughs> producer Luke playing heads up against best ball UK NFL. Um, all right. Last question we're going to do <laughs> comes from TK. He wants to know where the money comes from, Jeremy. Who funds Jeremy's startups? Um, God, I wish it was more people. Um, <laughs> it's been, it's been, it's been a collection of people I've met along the way. And, um, People I've been able to build friendships and relationships with um, the the group that's that's funding Underdog. It's it's a it's an awesome collection of people, um, really strategic and, and help who can be helpful to this business from the sports world, from the sports betting world, um, certainly from the fantasy sports world. Um, we we're really strategic about making sure we could find people who can who could really help this business, um, who could bring us customers, who could bring us credibility, who could bring us other partners, who can help us um, in in a lot of ways down the line. So I don't I don't. I think I can, I can share with Jesse yet because I think we're going to announce that probably next week who our investors are in this business. But it's, it's an amazing group that I think is going to add a lot of value to this business over time. For sure. Yeah. I think one thing people don't realize is, yeah, you know, product is the most important thing and it's super important. But man, I mean, the ability to raise money, especially in DFS, like, you know, just from talking to Taylor and Andrew about it, like the ability to go out and raise money is just so, so, so huge. It definitely takes a certain skill. And also, I mean, customer acquisition and, and raising money obviously goes into that a lot. But Obviously, you, know, you can have the best product in the world if nobody's on the site. Well, um, that's going to be a problem. And all these sites need liquidity so people can play against each other. So, yeah, there's so much goes goes on behind the scenes that I think a lot of people don't realize. And that includes myself um, for sure. All right. Totally. Yeah, that's something we're always focused on is making sure that drafts are filling quick, right, in terms of liquidity. If we people, a lot of people are asking us like, hey, why don't you have these drafts? Why don't you have this size draft? Why don't you have yeah. a six person draft for $50, whatever it is. And, and the answer is would love to have all of those, but that just splits up liquidity. Now players are going different places and drafts take longer to fill. Right. And for us, one of the top metrics we track is how quickly a draft fills, because especially when it's a fast draft, you don't want to join that draft, have to wait three hours for it to start and then be at your, and then you might not have that hour available or 30 minutes available to draft that. Right. So right. we want drafts to fill really quick. I mean, ultimately as we reach some scale drafts are filling in five, 10 minutes during the days. And it's, it's really a great experience. Cool. Um, okay. Tell the people where they can find you. If you want to be found, tell the people where they can find underdog, everything about it. Give the people your, uh, your promo. Yeah, cool. So underdog, I mean, that's underdog in the app store underdog fantasy probably is what you should search for. Um, underdog fantasy.com. And I'm at Jerry Levine on Twitter. So hit me up. Um, always happy to engage there and, uh, and do some underdog support. If I have to, I can hop in and out of that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. Really appreciate you being here. I think people will find this super interesting. I certainly did follow Jeremy. Check out Underdog. So for producer Luke, for Jeremy, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.